0: Hi, this is Corey Turner, and along with my wife Simone, we are the senior pastors of Newmark Church. I wanted to thank you for listening to our podcast today. You're about to hear a message from one of our team that we pray builds your faith and empowers you to follow Jesus more closely. Enjoy the message. The month of June is uh,
1: revival month, as you can see on the screen. Uh, this is a regular part of the rhythm of our church where. Uh, we really seek to understand more deeply what God's heart is for revival. Um, we, we spend an entire month cultivating in ourselves a greater desire for revival. Our global vision is to plant 200 NUMA churches, uh, not all from right here, by the way. That's uh, really our global vision. Uh, we do want to plant a few churches out of this church, but uh, our global vision to plant 200 NUMA churches that... Uh, across four global hubs that carry a spirit of revival to disciple cities and nations. If we're going to uh, be a church that carries a spirit of revival, then it would be a good thing for us to really understand what revival is, what God's heart for revival is, and what it looks like to experience revival, and, and what does it look like for us as God's people to partner with God in seeing revival come. There's a certain posture of our hearts that attracts God's grace, it attracts God's uh, presence, it, it attracts His power, and so we need to tap into what that is. So I feel uh, the Holy Spirit really wants us this month to focus on three things that will attract His grace, His power, and His presence. Um, I'm actually going to be preaching this as a three-part series through the month, but actually next week we have uh, the great Pastor Steve Cawthorne who's going to be with us. He's going to uh, yeah, good. Good to get excited about that. It'll be great. He's going to plug into this series and bring a word that I think will really complement this uh, this word today. Uh, but this comes from a. This series comes from a fairly well-known passage of scripture in Second Chronicles chapter seven. King Solomon has just completed construction of the temple, and there's this weight of God's presence that comes as Solomon. Praise this prayer and dedicates the temple and the presence of God, this cloud, this weight of God's presence came so, so significantly, so powerfully that the, the priests could not even enter the temple to minister and all the people that were around just fell on their faces on the pavement. And then later that evening, God comes to Solomon and speaks this word right here to him, really foreshadowing a time when the people of God would not be as faithful as they were being in that moment. And so 2 Chronicles 7 verse 13 says, this is God speaking, he says, When I shut up the heavens so that there is no rain, or command the locusts to devour the land, or send pestilence among my people, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves, pray and seek my face, and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven I will forgive their sin, and I will heal their land. The title of this series I'm going to preach is just simply called Heal Our Land. Uh, That phrase, heal their land, uh, really encapsulates what the ultimate goal of revival is. Not just an awakening amongst God's people, but through an awakening amongst God's people, God's Spirit would be poured out to such a degree that cities and nations are discipled that the land is actually healed. We can see in this passage that there are three things that actually attract a move of God that is so sustained and so impactful uh, that the land can be healed. And it all begins with, notice, if my people, it begins with the people of God, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves, pray and seek my face, and turn from their wicked ways. So if you, like, um, if you like one word alliterations, I got that for you for this series. What God wants from us and what really is going to attract the grace and the power and the presence of God is our humility, our hunger, and our holiness. Our humility if we'll humble ourselves, our hunger if we will pray and seek uh, his face, uh, our holiness, if we will turn from our wicked ways. And so we're going to preach on that over three weeks. Like I said, Pastor Steve will plug in next week, uh, really going probably a little bit deeper on what, on what humility in our hearts looks like and how that, that brings a healing and a holiness uh, and a wholeness into our lives. I mean, if we're going to bring healing to the world, if the land's going to be healed, the, the, the church has to be healed, right? So, um, tonight we're going to talk about really the first step in the healing of the land, which is the humility of God's people. So I've got one more passage of scripture for you. This is James chapter 4, beginning in verse 4. It's going to start out a little bit harsh, all right? So just get ready. (laughs) You adulterers. It's important for us to recognize that James is actually talking to uh, the church, at least the visible church. Don't you realize that friendship with the world makes you an enemy of God? I say it again. All right, obviously this is important. If you want to be a friend of the world, you make yourself an enemy of God. Do you think the scriptures have no meaning? They say that God is passionate, that the spirit he's placed within us should be faithful to him. In other words, the ESV says that God is jealous for our affection. Notice the covenantal language. Notice the language of a husband. It's like a husband speaking to a wife. Verse 6, and he gives grace generously. As the scriptures say, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So humble yourselves before God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Come close to God and God will come close to you. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts for your loyalty is divided between God and the world. Let there be tears for what you have done. Let there be sorrow and deep grief. Let there be sadness instead of laughter and gloom instead of joy. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up in honor. How's that for an encouraging passage of scripture? If you want some encouragement from the Lord, just go to James. There you go right there. title of this message tonight is uh, How Humility Attracts the Grace of God. Father, we are desperate for you. Lord, we humble ourselves before you right now and say that we can't figure you out on our own. We need a grace, Lord, that comes through a spirit of wisdom and revelation. We say, Lord, we need you. And Lord, in many ways, God, I'm Preach into the choir. Lord, we're, we're, we're those who at four o'clock, five o'clock in the afternoon, evening, it's raining, uh, it's a bit cold this time of year, but Lord, here we are. Lord, we're here because we're hungry for you, but Lord, we're humbling ourselves before you to say we need you desperately. Father, we want to hear your voice. Father, we thank you that, Lord, even in the preaching of this word, we are taking a stand against demonic powers and principalities. Lord, we're taking a stand against the spirit of pride in this culture. And Holy Spirit, I'm asking you to come right now and bring revelation. Show us what it looks like to apply humility more deeply to our hearts. What does it look like, Lord, for us to humble ourselves before you? Would you teach us? Would you lead us into truth? Father, if there's any area of pride or self-sufficiency. Lord, what a dumb thing to say. Where there is an area, not if, where there is any pride or self-sufficiency or insecurity or an attempt to elevate ourselves, where there's unforgiveness, where there's bitterness, where there is anything that that springs from pride, whether it be selfish ambition or jealousy, Lord, would you deliver us as your people. Father, we humble ourselves before you. We need you speak to us in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as you probably know, we're less than three weeks from Revival Conference. Last year at Revival Conference, God began to pour out his spirit really more powerfully amongst us as a Numa family than we'd ever experienced before. Even in our gatherings we began to have here, there was an outpouring of his spirit and, it, and, a, and a sifting uh, uh, e- even of what God was doing amongst us. But I had at the, at the Revival Conference last year one of the most profound encounters with God I had ever had in my life. I was, uh, you know, th- there was just this presence of God and I was worshiping Him. And there was a sense that God is about to do something. And we were, you know, coming through COVID and the difficult uh, 2022, the, that first half of the year, and there was this desperation and, and this sense, man, God is about to do something amongst us. And I prayed this prayer. I said, you know, this is as a leader. I'm saying, God, I need you to take me higher. I need to go higher. Um, and, and I think what I meant by that prayer was, Lord, I, I want to, I, I, I need to grow. I need to be a better leader. I need you to prepare me for, for, for what this next season uh, is going to bring. And so I prayed this prayer, Lord, I need you to take me higher. And I very clearly heard this voice back. He said, I need you to go lower. And in this moment, I felt this weight of God's presence. And I I just got down on my knees. But it, it wasn't like, it was like this weight, this cloud was bearing down on me. And literally, you know, next thing I know, my face is on the carpet. carpet, And I had this feeling like I can't get low enough. Like I want to go even lower, but there's a floor in the way here. Like I can't. It was like I was being pressed down from uh, from the top. And although there was a metaphorical, I want you to go lower in your life, God was manifesting his presence uh, and really demonstrating for me uh, what he was calling me to, which is a deeper level of humility before him. This was very similar to the experience that the people of God had in that passage that we just read in Second Corinthians 7. The, the people of God who were, were there in this moment, their faces, the, in the ESV says, their faces were on the pavement, on the concrete. I'm sure that wasn't very comfortable, but there was this weight that was bearing down on them. Isaiah experiences this, when he sees the Lord in the temple, he has this profound revelation of God, and he, what's his response? He says, woe is me, I'm a man of unclean lips. There's something of a, a revelation of God that brings this recognition of ourselves in perspective to him, and he uses that to begin to shift and, and sift things in our own lives, The challenge is, is we leave the atmosphere like Solomon had on that day and we leave this atmosphere of the presence of God or we leave revival conference and then Monday morning or whenever it is, we've got to actually walk out this life of recognition of who God is and his humility. And so it wasn't long after this that Solomon's heart began to uh, grow cold. Uh, the people of God began to abdicate their authority. Uh, They had this ultimate calling to export the glory of God into other places, but they grew uh, passive. They grew apathetic. Uh, They grew proud. They weren't hungry anymore. Uh, They gave themselves to idolatry and wickedness. And in their retreating and pulling away from God, they actually opened the door to uh, spirits, principalities, Demonic powers to come into the land and begin to defile it. Um, It's interesting that repeatedly in Scripture we begin, we, we see God speaking of this necessity to heal the land. Now, healing is often, I mean, is only required when something is diseased, right? And we often think about a body needing to be healed. But in reality, God is also saying just like a body is sick and needs to be healed, through sin and depravity, through the opening of the door to demonic principalities, the land actually becomes diseased and needs to be healed. So when people rebel against God, they begin to worship false idols. Uh, The land in which they are living becomes defiled. Their worship of idols opens up doors To demonic spirits who begin to uh, gain control and perpetuate these worldviews and mindsets that continue to lead people deeper and deeper into sin and depravity, and the land becomes sicker and more diseased. If you want to know why in our nation the government uh, does not see a, an unborn child as being a valuable human being, it's because the land has been defiled. If you go to a high school and you hear teachers speaking about how, hey kids, the gender that you were assigned at birth may not be the gender that uh, really is your right gender. You have the authority and the power to choose. All right, why? Because the land is defiled. Be, the church has retreated from culture to such a degree that we have left the door wide open to demonic powers, principalities that are ravaging our culture. And so the beautiful thing is, is God says, it, it's helpful to first recognize the land is diseased. The land is sick. But God says, when the land is sick, when the land is diseased, If my people will do this, this, and this, then I will heal the land. God is always right there, ready to heal the land. I recently read a great book. Um, You may have heard of Jonathan Kahn. He wrote this book called uh, Return of the Gods. And I'm not a big fan of his eschatology. At the end of the book, there's not a whole lot of hope. But man, he does a great job. (laughs) He does a, a great job uncovering what the actual problem is. And uh, he talks about these demonic principalities, uh, three of them in particular. And he does this, he he brilliantly points these three principalities and how they're influencing culture back to these same gods that have been worshipped throughout millennia in basically the same way in every culture. And he spends the most time talking about this one principality that he calls uh, the Enchantress. Uh, this is a, a high-ranking principality that masquerades as a goddess and has been worshipped in, uh, the, in the same way in multiple different cultures. So in the Canaanite culture, uh, she was called Ashtoreth. In uh, Babylonian and Assyrian culture, she was Ishtar. In Greek culture, Venus. In Roman culture, uh, Diana. But in all of these cultures... Uh, This goddess was basically worshipped in the same way. In other words, the principality behind this goddess wanted to be worshipped in the same way. Uh, Jeremiah is probably referring to this principality when he refers to the queen of heaven who has uh, pulled entire families away into uh, idolatry and demonic worship. Israel had actually been falling into the worship of this goddess ever since Joshua died. Uh, we see Gideon tearing down altars to Baal and to uh, these Asherah poles that were monuments and places of worship to uh, this goddess. And even Solomon was led astray as he had these uh, other wives that he married from other nations to enter into covenants with other kings. He married their daughters and they drew him away into the worship of this principality. But as as he points out in this book brilliantly, uh, these he, he shows how these principalities have been worshipped in the same way throughout culture. And the result of this goddess was to always create in the culture uh, an extreme sexual immorality. The goal of this principality was to destroy a godly view of marriage. And interestingly, this principality would always provoke worship of a goddess that was feminine, but in a seductive way, but then also had a bit of a warrior spirit. So there was this blurring of the lines between genders. The goal of this uh, this goddess was to turn men into women and women into men, to the point where many of the men who were the temple prostitutes were very effeminate. And so we is there any wonder that as we have pulled back we begin to see the activity of this same demonic principality in our culture. And it's really helpful to open our eyes and understand that there are evil forces. Our enemy is not flesh and blood. There are evil forces, Paul says, in high places that are uh, trying to propagate worldviews and ideologies that learn, lead to certain ways of living that are destructive to the image of God. Why do you go on TikTok and you see girls boasting about their body count? Or why do you go, uh, you, you know, you, you, you go to school and you hear about uh, being assigned uh, a gender, but that's not your actual gender? Because this enchantress, this same demonic principality is creating worship to that spirit in the same way that it always has in all cultures seeking to destroy the image of God in the earth. And this principality hates anyone to resist or stand against it to the point where it provokes this this ideology and worldview uh, that if you disagree, then you have... You have, if you disagree with what's being said about gender, then you have committed the cardinal sin of homophobia. If you don't agree with me, then you don't love me. In, it, it's this complete disregard of any framework of I can disagree with you, but I can still love you. No, 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 you can't. If you don't agree with everything I'm saying, if you don't support my freedom to choose who I say that I am, then you don't really love me. You deserve to be silenced. You deserve to be canceled. It's interesting that when you look back through all these cultures, this principality, the enchantress, wanted a month of worship all to herself. And this month of worship would generally always coincide in these cultures with the northern hemisphere summer solstice which is the month of June. Is it any wonder that this principality has, again, in the culture, because of the ground that has been given up, because the ground that the, uh, we have given up to this principality, is there any wonder that we have an entire month in our culture called Pride Month? The very opposite of the thing that will bring healing to the land. It is pride that brings disease. It is pride that bring that brings sickness in the land. It's the attitude that says, "I can choose to live however I want to live." But God is saying, "No, no. If you want healing in the land, bring humility." Interesting that um, our revival month is in the month of June. The enemy wants you proud. To place you in opposition to God. That's what he wants. James 4.6, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. It was pride that was at the root of Satan's fall. In his arrogance, he rejected God's authority. And so pride in its most basic sense is this exaggerated or excessive sense of self-importance and arrogance. A desire for self-exaltation. It's the prideful heart that sees itself as superior to others and in its most extreme form, superior to God. So pride, therefore, manifests as disobedience, as rebellion, as a rejection of God's rightful authority. Pride says, I don't need God. I have all that I need apart from Him. That's the confession of the prideful heart. And so it was pride that provoked Adam and Eve. Uh, in being deceived from the, by the enemy to uh, believe the lie that God is holding out on me. And I have, I'm better at deciding for myself what's good for me and what's not good for me. It was pride that was at the root of uh, the nation of Israel's rebellion against God. And it is pride that is at the root of the sickness of the land in which we live. And so if pride is at the root of sickness, then the only path of healing is humility. The temptations of the enemy are always toward the prideful attitude that says, just follow your feelings. The central tenets of modern Satanism is, do what thou wilt. Just make your own way, choose your gender, live in a way that makes you feel good. Uh, you're enough. You don't need God. You're doing just fine on your own. You don't want to obey God's laws. They're burdensome. They'll hold you back. You're better off without them. You don't, you don't even need other people. People are the enemy. He tries to get us in isolation. You're smarter than those people. That, don't listen to what they have to say. You know what you need better than anyone else. But James challenges us to remember that it is pride that actually puts us in opposition to God. Pride causes God to withdraw his beneficial influence in our lives. In other words, when the prideful heart says, God, I don't need your help, I don't need your grace, God says, okay, I'll give you what you want. I, I will give you some space. So he, he, draw, he withdraws his empowering presence, his grace, away from those who are proud. Why does he do this? He does this because he has a redemptive motive. His desire is to help. His desire is to, to give his grace, to do good things. But he needs people to partner with him in humility to be able to make room for that. This is why in, in Romans 1, Paul explains the wrath of God or the judgment of God as God giving people over to their sin. In other words, when you say, God, I don't need you, God says, okay, and without the protective influence of God in the person's life, there's this downward spiral of sin. That's what happened in my life. Man, I'm getting high, enjoying the weed for a while, and then that's not enough. I need the next thing. Well, then that's not enough. I need the next thing. Well, that's enough. I need something darker. I need something more, you know, that's going to, you know, light the fire a little bit more, something more intense, because... There's this law of diminishing returns. And when God withdraws his presence, leaves us to himself, there's that downward spiral. But what is the goal? The goal is that in the pain and brokenness of feeling the pain of our rebellion, that the heart would cry out and say, God, I need you. Save me. This was King Nebuchadnezzar's experience in Daniel. God, he, he came out of his house one day, saw his empire, man, look what I have built with my hands. I am the man. Look what I have done. How great am I? And then, bam, God's like, all right, well, let me help my man out here. And uh, he, Neb goes insane, and he loses it. He's literally eating grass in a field like a cow. His nails grew really long. And uh, then seven years later, seven years, he finally comes to, and he makes this statement. He says, uh, I... Nebuchadnezzar praise and extol and honor the King of heaven, for all his works are right and his ways are just, and those who walk in pride he's able to humble. So he is able, God is able to, through the pain that we experience, bring us to a point of humility. I remember seeing Chappelle Corby in the news when I, not long after I moved here. Remember Chappelle Corby? Everybody remember her? So she got busted going into Bali with uh, like 20 kilos of weed going in a, in a boogie board bag. And she was facing the death penalty. And then I saw the headlines uh, not long after that. Uh, she's in prison about to be sentenced. And it says Chappelle Corby has been baptized in, ba- in Bali prison and reading her Bible daily. Man, the death penalty will have a way to humble a person, right? I mean, you, 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 life has a way of Humbling us. We probably all experienced to some degree uh, th- that pain of going our own way, making our own choice, doing it our way, and then and then feeling the consequences and saying, God, I screwed up, help me. This was my experience. I was reluctant to submit to him. I was 20 years old and I was running from him. I was putting it off. I'll get got right with God later. But man, all this pain started coming about in my life. And why did I turn to Jesus, if we're just honest? It's because the pain of no longer serving him became greater in my mind than the perceived pain I would feel of giving up the things I had to give up to serve him. In this period of counting the cost, I'm like, whatever, I do not care what I gotta let go of. Jesus, I just need you, I'm desperate, I can't do it on my own. But the invitation is God is able to humble those who walk in pride. But the invitation from James is not, is what? Humble yourselves. Okay, so let me just let me give you a, a little insight here. You don't have to say, God, will you humble me? You don't have to say that. Okay? Don't need to pray that prayer. Okay? That is what automatically happens to the prideful person. At least God tries to do that, all right? All you have to do is make a decision. Humble yourself. So humility is a hard attitude that must be chosen. James 4, uh, in verse 7 and verse 10, he says it twice. Humble yourselves before God. How do we know humility is a choice? Because he says, humble yourselves. You have a choice, it's like a, a challenge or a command, It echoes the challenge from God in 2nd Corinthians chapter 7. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves, all you gotta do is humble yourself. Trying to be picky and choosy here because I'm looking at the clock. All right, I'm trying to do you all a favor, all right? The ultimate example. Of choosing the path of humility is who? Who's our ultimate example? I'll give you a little hint. Philippians chapter two. It's Jesus. And Paul says to us, "Have the same attitude in yourself that Jesus that Christ Jesus had, he humbled himself in obedience to God, to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. Therefore, God elevated him to the place of highest honor. Gave him the name above every other name. He humbled himself in obedience to God. Our greatest example of humility is Jesus. And in our lives as followers of Jesus, when we follow him, when we go after him, there are going to be multiple moments. We don't just get all of our pride dealt with at the moment of salvation. That's a significant moment of humility before God and repentance. But repentance is an ongoing process. That's why James is challenging the church to have a godly sorrow. Recognize, don't be proud and disregard your sin. Feel feel the sorrow of the Lord. Take God's side against your sin and acknowledge that it's there. And so some of the most humbling things in my life has been when God said, hey, I need you to go and actually confess that sin to a brother. That takes a little bit of humility. It, uh, if there's pride in your heart, it's going to be a hindrance. And and what's interesting is there is pride in the heart, but there's also a capacity to destroy the pride by humbling yourself. So I had to make a choice. Okay, God's saying to confess the sin. This is the pathway to healing and victory. I'm going to confess my sin. I remember once, right after being saved, I lied to this girl. She was a friend of mine, and God. Convicted my heart and said, You need to go back and tell her you lied to her. I'm like, what am I like, I'm gonna look like a fool. I'm gonna look like an idiot. God's like, I don't care. My goal is to humble you. I I'm I actually want you to feel like a fool and an idiot in that moment. I want you to feel the pain uh, and the godly sorrow of having to tell her and confess your sin to her that you lied to her, because that will be cleansing for you. That will be healthy for you. You will grow through that, and then I'll know that I am truly your Lord. Man, that was one of the most painful moments. I deliberated on that one for days. What about when you have to ask forgiveness from someone that you've wronged? I mean, come on, if you want a great marriage, there's only one pathway. It's the pathway of humility, of acknowledging and confessing your sin, putting it out there. I'm sorry when I said this. I was rude. I was being arrogant. I was prideful. And I'm sorry, will you please forgive me? Okay, that is the only pathway of a healthy marriage. If there's pride and arrogance in our heart, you can expect relationships that are unhealthy. Okay, God heals our relationships through humility. But God does not want us in this perpetual state of needing to be disciplined by him. He wants us to grow up and relate to him rightly and so many years ago I just created this humility confession sheet for myself where I would just confess the word to God and 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 I had these confessions that I would declare to to God or whoever wanted to listen because there's power in our words and uh, this came from a sermon that a young man in our my church preached when I just got saved but uh, I'll give you the confessions you want to hear them What I am is what God says I am, nothing more and nothing less. I have nothing to prove. I have nothing to lose. I need not be defensive. I need not be the center of attention. I can handle being ignored. I need not be in control or in charge. I do not seek praise, but if I receive it, I say thank you, and I internally channel channel that praise to God. I'm able to be impressed by someone else. I'm able to recognize greater anointing or greater talent. I consider other people more important than myself. I recognize that God delegates authority to other people in my life. I am willing to be accountable. I do not look out only for my own interests, but also for the interests of others. I'm careful, listen to this one, I'm careful to not interrupt people when they're speaking as what they have to say is just as important as anything that I might want to say. Apart from Christ, I am nothing. Apart from Christ, I know nothing. Apart from Christ, I have nothing. Apart from Christ, I can do nothing. But in Christ, I am everything. I can know everything. I have everything. And I can do all things. Come on, how's that for some (laughs) confessions? (laughs) Humility is an attitude of the heart that rightly understands our need for God. Okay, we're going to talk about hunger next week, which is desire for God. This week, humility, it's the recognition of our need for God. One final point, and then we're going to bring it on home. Maybe the worship team can come on up. Humility strengthens our identity, brings us near to God, and leads us into an overcoming life. James says that if we will humble ourselves, look at this verse, we'll put it on the screen. Humble yourselves before God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come close to God, he will come close to you. Again, verse 10, humble yourselves before the Lord, he will lift you up in honor. Humility is not a life that's just spent focusing on our weaknesses. Humility is not trying to lower ourselves uh, to, you know, to, to make ourselves more humble. Humility often comes when we, yes, first confess our sin, but God wants us to take a position, a mindset of knowing who we are in Christ because humility ultimately is having a right estimation of yourself. And so earlier this year, God came to me and in this moment of, of prayer, and he said, I need you to stop relating to me as a son who needs to be disciplined. I need you to start relating to me as a king whom I've called to rule. Well, if, a, if I stand up and I confess, God, you said I'm a king who's called to rule. If that's what God said, then that's the truth. And I'm not being proud by saying that. I'm actually being humble because I'm having a right estimation of myself and who God says that I am. God's desire is on the other side of our humility to lift us up in honor, to draw us into deeper relationship with him. As we come close to God in humility, he draws near to us, and it begins to fuel this hunger and desire in us for him. This is why Moses could could write Genesis and say that Moses is the most humble man in all the earth. How could a man say who wrote the book talking about himself, he's the most humble man in all the earth? Because it was the truth. It's okay if you're Moses to say, I am the most humble man in all the earth, if you are actually the most humble man in all the earth, right? He had revelation from God, divinely inspired word. He's the most humble man. God probably said to him, Moses, you are the most humble man in all the earth. And so he wrote it in the word. Moses is the most humble man in all the earth. It wasn't pride. It was humility because it was true. He had a right estimation of himself. Our humility becomes a spiritual warfare that God uses to push back the spirit of pride in our culture there's something attractive about a humility that's in the heart there's something about pride that is repelling who wants to be around the proud and the arrogant person the unteachable you get nowhere in life if you're proud and unteachable but there's a spiritual warfare that happens. He says, resist, in the context of humbling yourself, resist the devil and he will flee from you. I was reading this book I was talking about earlier and I was getting so frustrated. I was like, I can't believe they've gained, this demonic spirit has gained so much ground that, that, they, that, that it has an entire month of worship all over the world to itself. I was angry. I was like, God, what is up with that? Where's the church? And then I remembered revival month in two weeks. And I felt the Holy Spirit speak to me and said, I have sovereignly orchestrated through your leaders to declare June of 2023 revival month because I'm using you to take a stand to to oppose through your worship to push back the spirit of pride that's in your culture. And so in this moment, we are going to humble ourselves through the very, the, the most humbling act we can ever give ourselves to, which is our worship. Can we stand to our feet? We are going to position ourselves before him rightly to say, God, you are the creator and I am the created. God, you are the sustainer and I am the one who is in need of being sustained. God, I need you. Father, we agree with Jesus who said, apart from me, you can do nothing. That is our confession today. We take our stand against the spirit of pride in this culture. We take our stand against Pride Month that says, you determine your own identity. And we take our stand by saying, Jesus, apart from you, we can do nothing. Jesus, you are our king. In fact, Jesus, you are the king of Australia. You are the king seated upon the throne in heaven, ruling and reigning over all the nations. Oh, we remember Psalm 2. The Lord sits in heaven. He's installed his king upon Zion. He, he, He sees those resisting his authority and pride and the Lord scoffs at them. He scoffs. Oh, because he knows I've installed my king on Zion. I've installed my king in the church. Lord, we worship you. There is no one in heaven or earth more worthy than you. You deserve all of our praise. You deserve to be our greatest pursuit. Because Lord, apart from you, we can do nothing. We need you, Jesus. We long for
0: you. Thank you for joining us for this message today.